This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Coming up. I don't want to be in my house right now because of some stuff that went down and, um, if I'm at a party and it's going later and later, I will put myself in danger just to be away from my own house. Again, a non-gay is a podcast from James Barr and Dan Hudson. Two unlikely friends take on the world. Hi, welcome to A Gay and a Non-Gay. I am Dan Hudson and I'm not gay. And I'm James Barr and I am gay. Today's episode is super important because it tells the story of how our shame as LGBTQ plus people and the struggles that we go through in our lives can lead us to incredibly dark places. And this episode carries a trigger warning because we will be discussing chemsex, sexual exploitation, abuse, sex workers, and also murder. So today we are joined by the multi-award-winning journalist, Patrick Strudwick. Patrick has done some groundbreaking investigations and documentaries over the last decade or so. I first became aware of Patrick when he investigated conversion therapy for The Guardian. He's one of the people that I always look to when things are going to shit in our community. We are, of course, going to get into conversion therapy because we love to do that on this podcast. But we're also here to talk about his brand new Audible Originals podcast, White Smoke, America's Chemsex Killer, which tells the story of this guy, Ed Buck, who's responsible for all of the things that James described. And this was all happening inside his apartment. This is invariably quite a, quite a dark episode, I would yes. say. And it might be an uncomfortable listen for some, as we hear about White Smoke, America's Chemsex Killer. I keep wanting to call it White Sex. No. But it's called White Smoke. That's your life. That's my <laughs> life, yeah, sorry, I'm getting confused. Welcome to a gay non-gay it's interesting i mean when we started this chat just now and dan said this this show is mind-blowing like i am not surprised some of this information is very surprising and toxic but chemsex gay guy lots of money living in a flat getting guys over having parties that's partly normal really in london even i've been to similar events yeah and i think it's really important that everyone recognizes that and this is the line that was said to me over and over again in all the interviews i did in los angeles there are other ed bucks out there right there are men mostly with money who exploit chemsex situations to their own ends it's, you know, in a way, a, a perfect scenario for someone with malevolent instincts because many people who show up to a chemsex party have vulnerabilities in different ways in the sense that, you know, they might have a need for, they might have a need for drugs, they might have a need for just basic human connection because they're isolated, they might be in the closet, they might have mental health problems, and they might have financial problems because some people go to chemsex parties 
because it's somewhere to stay. People can stay there for a night, sometimes several nights. That's what he relied on. You know, many of his victims were homeless. But this is happening everywhere. We just don't hear about it. It's really interesting hearing you say that. (laughs) I don't want to be in my house right now because of some stuff that went down. And um, if I'm at a party and it's going later and later, I will put myself in danger just to be away from my own house. That's concerning. (laughs) I'm very aware of it though, so I'm able to control that and make sure that I'm not going down the wrong path. But a lot of people won't be aware of that. And I think a lot of gay people like us, we have a lot of trauma and shame that we sometimes have processed, sometimes haven't. And I think it can manifest in these situations. And we haven't really discussed chemsex, so I have no idea what you think about all of this. I guess it's just so far out of my world, really, to have, have any sort of informed opinion on it. Well, but... well, let me say this to you, Dan. Have there been times in your life when you look back now and you think, I shouldn't have gone home with that woman or I shouldn't have got off with that woman? But at the time, I was a bit lonely, feeling a bit in need of reassurance or affirmation. And I overrode my own instincts because there were warning signs there. But I just went anywhere because of my underlying need. Yeah, I guess so. So you know exactly what chemsex is in the sense of the vulnerability and potential for danger. If you take that situation of overriding your own instincts, ignoring red flags, to use kind of contemporary parlance. (laughs) Um, Or James Barr talk, in other words. (laughs) Right. But that's what this is. And actually, one of the things that I thought was really important to do in White Smoke is to go back and unpick the journeys of the people who ended up there. So in particular, the two men that died there and the third man who escaped phone 911 and led to Buck's eventual arrest. We spent a long time answering this question, how did they end up there? For a bit of historical context, it's worth remembering that the sex lives of gay people and gay men in particular have been for a long time entwined with danger. You know, if you think about the fact that we were criminalised until the late 60s, any act of sex was an act of danger. And that doesn't just kind of disappear in the psyche. It forms part of the culture. Then when you have way past criminalisation or decriminalisation, you have cruising areas which sprung up particularly during criminalisation. They didn't just disappear. And those cruising areas, you know, people have been murdered in, people have been attacked in. Then you get into the 21st century with the internet and with apps, which are basically cruising areas online. And you go over to someone's house who you've not even met in a pub, as we used to do in the old days. Yeah. <laughs> you put yourself in danger. And, and in a way, it's easy to think of the kind of the monster lurking out there. But I think it's really important to just say, actually, the biggest risk is how great your need is. That's a very powerful quote. I feel very triggered. <laughs> Do you feel the same way or have you worked through this so much? Yes, of course. As gay men, we, we all know what that is to think, oh yeah, it's late, I'm lonely, I'll go on an app. I mean, you might not tell yourself you're lonely, but whatever. Yeah. You'll go on an app and you'll go around to some rando's mm. apartment. Even when you get there and there's some slightly iffy signals going on, you can still override your warning bells. You can, yeah. And I think to an extent, you also feel more connected to them because 
you also have random things that have made you the way you are. And I suppose you could feel aligned with someone that that has those tendencies or is doing a crazy amount of drugs you can think well i understand why you're doing that and then before you know it you're lost in a situation right i mean we we all in a way rationalize Mm. and normalize things which actually we should be saying oh hang on but then it's hard to know which of those things you should say oh hang on about when you've grown up with a system that tells you that everything is wrong. Yeah, and everything comes with anxiety. The experience of being gay in this world is impossible to experience without there just being a lot of anxiety, Mm. I think. I mean, that's my experience. Whether that's going home with a random or coming out or going into a gay bar, and not just for the first time, every time you go into into an LGBT space, you can have that thing of, oh, Am I good enough? Do I look good enough? Will I be liked? Will I be accepted? Those are all anxieties. So it's a really good point, James, because when you go into a situation with another guy in their home and, you know, I don't know, there's a skull on the mantelpiece or whatever, um, you can go, oh yeah, but just, you know, like just go with it. This is just your anxiety talking. And then, you know, there's another clue. You've also talked about how a boyfriend of yours had been in a coma because of G. Did you ever get in similar spaces? Did you ever feel tempted to take G? To be really frank with you, if Grinder and G had been available when I was a teenager, I'd be dead. Without question. Because I know what I was like as a teenager. Fairly wild. Desperately needed affirmation and desperately needed to be free of my kind of suburban upbringing. So, my God, when I look back at the scrapes I got into, it's lucky that I was okay in some ways. But it could have been so much worse had there been G in the mix or, or meth. Saying that, you know, this affects all of us. You know, people close to me, people close to you, anyone listening to this, I think there's quite a lot of denial here. And I think there is both as a community and the wider world needs to recognize that while this might be taking place behind closed doors and terrible things taking place behind closed doors, it's spilling out. And this is what scares me when I hear Dan say, oh, this is a crazy story. I'm like, what? This is not a crazy story. This is one person in America, but there are hundreds probably of the of these scenarios happening every single day, every single weekend. You're only one party away from, from this situation. Totally. And I've sat in kitchens with grieving mothers whose 18, 21-year-old son didn't come home because they were found dead at a chemsex party. So look, yeah. I mean, we all just want to have fun, right? And have pride parties and whatever, get laid, connect, have friendships. And so much of the kind of gay psyche is about having distraction from the difficulties in our early life or even our current life and seeking connections and having fun. We don't want to look at the dangers. We don't want to admit our vulnerabilities and fragilities. We don't want to admit that actually we can be at risk. And so... A lot of times we're not talking about it. Even just today, my friend was messaging me. He was taking an HIV test. He was terrified because he'd had a crazy weekend like six weeks ago where he'd taken something he wished he hadn't and had unprotected sex and he wasn't on prep. 
and I just put it out of my head when we came in here, but it's completely relevant to exactly what we're discussing because it is so widespread and it's happening to our friends right now and us. Crystal meth is the devil. Meth is the puppet master. Whoever you go and hang out with is the puppeteer. You show up, unfortunately, you become the puppet, especially if you're black. In the series, you talk about abuse, racism, and plantation slavery dynamics. Mm. What are plantation slavery dynamics? Well, Ed Buck is an older white man who, on the surface, has a taste for black men. What that actually means is he had a real fetish for black men. That's not uncommon. And some people will say, well, a fetish is a fetish. It's just a harmless thing. Well, fetishes can be harmless. However, when you have a fetish for a particular race, that needs a bit of examination. In the, if you're a rich white man and you have a taste for black men, and by the way, he liked vulnerable black men. You know, if they didn't have a home and didn't have a job and they were, you know, sex working, he wanted them. So in that situation, you have a huge power dynamic. And in that mentality, if all you're seeing is the race and you're fetishizing that, you are already potentially dehumanizing them. And indeed, his victims, there was a sort of pattern of his behavior. So they would arrive at his door, they would have to take off their clothes, i.e. their identity, if you like, and then they would have to wear white underwear, either white long johns or tighty whiteies, to expose, show off their bulge. He would call them racist terms. He would bully them into taking as much meth as possible. Um, sometimes he would give it to them against their will. He would then direct them in kind of photographic shoots or video shoots, commanding and directing every move, every minutiae of how they tilted their head so that the white smoke billowed around in a particular way. The whole thing was fetishized. And I used plantation slavery dynamics, not just to describe how the dynamics went between him and his victims, but because many people of colour, queer people of colour in Los Angeles who I interviewed over several years, invoked this time and time again. White gay men, so often in sexual situations, whether it was a free sexual encounter or one in which there was exchange of money or drugs. On the surface, it might seem like, oh, they're just into black guys. But when there's a huge power difference particularly black sex workers told me this, what ends up happening is they invoke slavery dynamics where effectively they are the plantation owner and their sexual partners are the enslaved people under them. So there's a huge amount of control involved. They use drugs to control them sexually, A, and B, to keep them there longer. Often there will be racist terms used. Sometimes you'll have white men or white clients asking people to adorn certain clothes in order to fulfill certain racist stereotype fantasies. This is awful. I've had black sex workers in LA asked by white clients to come dressed as a thug. So this is about repurposing the white man as the controller with black men who are fetishized and highly sexualized and 
dehumanized. A gay and a non-gay. Where is this heading? And what can people do to protect themselves? I mean, I don't have great news for you. The ways in which crime is being committed within chemsex situations is becoming more organized and more complicated. So whereas there used to be kind of loan operators on Grindr, maybe getting someone out of their apartment, drugging them and taking their wallet. Now you have whole gangs of people, and I've reported on this, there are now criminal gangs using chemsex situations to rob people. And even, I wrote a story about this earlier this year, even to invade their homes and set up shop there as dealers. So it's called cuckooing, where vulnerable people are taken over by one or two or more dealers who live in their home, who control them, who often feed them drugs, who use their home as a base to sell drugs. That's now happening in the in chemsex situations. So there's organised crime moving in, and with that comes a whole realm of madness. On the plus side, in this country, actually, we are a lot further ahead than in America. What stunned me about the Ed Buck case, and you'll hear this in White Smoke, is... There was just no joined up discussion about chemsex or PMP, as it's called in America, party and play. And so when the police arrived at Ed Buck's home and found in fairly quick succession two dead black men from meth overdoses, part of it, I actually think, was just ignorance of this world. And it didn't occur to them that there could be foul play involved. And that's because in America there was just... Chemsex is a term that was coined in this country, right, by David Stewart. The word is not used a lot in America. They say party and play. Which I think is more dangerous because it sounds more fun. It sounds fun. Chemsex definitely doesn't... I don't hear it as much said here. It happens, but I don't hear the term anyway. You don't hear the term party and play here? No, I hear just people talking about G or... I've heard Tina said before. I I think that's... Is crystal, that meth? That's crystal meth. That is crystal meth, and yeah. You, you hear H&H here? H&H here, yeah, high, high and horny. But, I mean, yeah, we, we are a lot further ahead than the US mm. where this discussion just hasn't been joined up. I will just issue like a slight warning here because I did this when I went to New York recently. They have signs in a lot of bars saying you should turn face ID off because of what you were talking about, gangs, drugging people, getting in a cab to go back to a party and then just using FaceTime to steal all their money and leaving them dead in the back of taxis. And that is so scary. And I think it's happened quite a lot of times to the point now where bars are saying turn off face ID if you're entering this venue. Well, and I've not heard about that. So I don't even have face ID on anymore. I always have to put my pin code in. The thing is, when the particular effects of GHB and meth are such that, you know, they render people in really, really vulnerable states. G just so easily renders people unconscious. Meth, you know, it's such a potent stimulant that, again, people just aren't in control of their faculties. It's a potential playground for predators. You know, I say this a lot. And I'm afraid we have to face that. Patrick, I first heard of you when you exposed gay conversion therapy happening here in the UK way back before the Tories promised to ban it and then never subsequently did actually ban it. How are you feeling about that now? Well, I feel horrified in that it's five years since Theresa May promised to ban conversion therapy. 
And what do we have? I was genuinely astonished when when May made that announcement. And I thought, wow, you know, by then it was many years since I first exposed conversion therapy in this country, because before that people just thought it was an American thing. I didn't think when I did that, that it would lead to a government, let alone a Tory government announcing a ban. So when she did, I was really kind of taken aback. And then of course, we're lulled into a false sense of security because half a decade later, there is zilch. Mm. And in a way worse, because we had the whole tumult with Boris Johnson saying, oh, trans people are not gonna be included. Mm. And then perhaps they are. And then in any case, it's only gonna be a ban against practicing conversion therapy where there is no consent. Yeah. When in reality, most conversion therapy takes place within a setting in which consent in inverted commas is provided. But that's only on the surface. People consent because they're bullied into it in various ways. So if the Tories do get round to banning conversion therapy in the current way in which they're saying they will, it will have no teeth, no effect, and it will all be a waste of time. In many ways, you were right, though. You didn't expect the Tory government to do it, and they haven't. Even Her Majesty echoed their words. Measures will be brought forward to ban conversion therapy. But those repeated promises are about to be broken. We did a documentary about conversion therapy, too, and sitting with that guy, even just for an hour, the guy who pretends he can change his sexuality, really affected me quite profoundly for the next three or four years, and still does to an extent. Do you still get affected by that experience? Because you went quite deep into this. Yes. You know, I went undercover and subjected myself to this abusive practice. It's the insidious nature of what they do that harms people because very often they're very warm and friendly. They say things which are so broad, a bit like horoscopes, that you can easily kind of believe them. Many of the ideas really sunk in quite deep for a while. I mean, I, I became quite ill during the course of the treatment and I ended up going to see a neurologist because I was having neurological episodes. I was having twitches and spasms and quite frightening experiences in my body and my face. And I was like, what on earth is going on? And I went and I had brain scans and, and she said that I can find no biological cause for your episodes. This is stress. And I was someone going into it with the fortitude of decades of self-affirmation, external affirmation. I didn't come from a conservative or religious background. You know, I was out on the scene when I was 16. So that experience, I can have moments where I'm put back into that place. And there's been movies and documentaries about conversion therapy since then. And I sometimes watch them and sometimes don't. I, I can get quite a physical reaction. I mean, it's a trauma response from hearing their lies. And it's lies that are always covered in this kind of sickly sweet, we want to help you, we want to change you. You know, they are wolves in sheep's clothes. You are simply gay as a goose and you just can't admit it. You need to come out of your deluded state. You need to accept who you are, be who you are, and stop causing harm to vulnerable gay people. Do you think some of them mean well? Do you think they think they're doing the good thing? Some, many conversion therapists are ex-gays, as they would call themselves. Uh, and I've interviewed some of those people um, who have subsequently said, actually, he's still very much gay. Yeah, ex-ex-gay. So it's, it's a complicated question in the, to an extent, 
they will tell themselves a that they are no longer gay and b that they can do what they purport to do which is to change your sexual identity but they're suppressing their own denial mm. and typically they see over time the harm they've done <laughs> the conversion therapy we met protested that he didn't change your sexuality and this is very gay he transformed your sexuality which is like the gayest thing you could possibly say you know i've never used the word suppression Uh, what i believe in is transformation i just wanted to touch on that briefly because i think you had a profound effect on how the uk talks about conversion therapy and i'm very thankful for how you investigated it thank you thank you so much for being on our podcast today it's a very difficult listen i'm sure it was actually darker in places than your documentary to an extent. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not about sure that. about that. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to the whole thing. Make sure you do. Um, White Smoke is available now on Audible. All the reviews that uh, you can see are five star because it is that good. Thanks so much for, for joining us. Thank you so much. And thanks for listening, babes. Do the admin and support a gay and a non-gay. Visit gaynongay.com slash donate.